0: This is Doing Translational Research, a podcast from the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research in the College of Human Ecology
1: at Cornell University. Hello and welcome to our podcast series, Doing Translational Research. I'm Carl Pillimer, I'm the director of the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research, and it's a pleasure to have as my guest, Professor Maria Fitzpatrick. Who is an associate professor in the department of policy analysis and management and we're also fortunate that she is a fellow in our center um, the millman fellow which invites faculty to be engaged with us over the course of a couple of years her phd in economics is from the university of virginia she's been a visiting scholar at the national bureau of economics research her main areas of focus are in the economics of education And her research is focused on such issues as early childhood education policies, higher education and teacher compensation, benefits, and labor supply. I'm also aware she's doing some work on retirement. And we are pleased to have you with us here today. Great. It's great to be here. Well, we're so glad. And I believe we look back, you're our first economist who we have talked to.
0: Fantastic.
1: And one of the things that we're looking forward to is thinking about how this concept of translational research might even apply to economics. But let me begin by, um, well, we like to begin our podcast by just asking, you know, how would you summarize your main research interests? Or maybe one way to think about this is, so uh, what are the questions that your research program tries to answer?
0: Yeah, so um, I would I'd ca- I'd sort of broadly categorize my research as being focused on two of what might be considered uh, the most vulnerable populations in the U.S., so as you identified Um, A big strand of my research is focused on thinking about children and education and issues related to that. And then also there's another strand of my research that's uh, focused on older Americans and thinking about retirement and health and those sorts of things. And so really just um, focused on thinking about various aspects of well-being for those two populations. And so um, I guess to talk a little bit more about each of those populations and some of the examples of research I've done. Um, to start with the older Americans, we have a new study that's just come out and is getting a lot of attention that's focused on thinking about the relationship between, um, retirement and health. And so retirement is a, it's a time of transition for many older Americans. There's a lot of uncertainty, um, and people spent a lot of their time, a lot of their lives focused on what will their financial health and retirement look like, right? Have I saved enough? Um, when should I retire? When will I be able to retire from a financial perspective? Uh, but we thought that there might be also, um, physical and mental health consequences or, or ways in which physical and mental health adjusted at retirement. And, um, we're obviously not the first folks to think of this idea, but what we bring to bear is some really neat new data and, um, and the ability to look across the whole U.S. population and think about how a really key indicator of health, that's which is mortality, uh, changes at a point when many people retire, uh, which is at age 62, when people become eligible for Social Security. And so there, um, we find that uh, ret- retirement has short-run consequences negative consequences for older uh americans particularly for older men's health Um, and that there's a two percent increase in uh, male mortality right at age 62 which is when about 10 percent of men retire and so um you know we think this this is this is sort of an interesting new finding a lot of folks have focused on other types of um health outcomes that are more subjective in nature um, and have found mixed results. And so we're hoping to contribute to this literature and really draw attention to what we think could be some important, particularly short-run, effects of retirement on health uh, and and older Americans' well-being. Mm -hmm. And so that's an example of research in the first category. But I also do work uh, do research thinking about how people make decisions about when to retire and how that's affected by policies in their workplace, either encouraging them to retire or encouraging them to keep working, um, and what effect that might have both on them but also on um, on their employers and um, on the sort of workplace more generally. Um, and then I'm thinking about uh, children, uh, there's a broader set of, the, I've, I've had a longer research agenda there, but so thinking about things like how much do kids learn when they're in school, how quickly do they learn, um, thinking about, as you mentioned, about how early childhood programs, particularly how government design programs affect uh, children's learning um, early on in their lives, um, but also how they affect the, the broader family um, Family environment for these kids. So, um, thinking about how uh, government programs for preschool and child care affect uh, maternal labor supply and um, other metrics of family well being um, has been an important part of what I've done. Um, and then also more recently, as in part as part of my time as the fellowship, as the fellow, the Millman fellow, starting to think about other um, aspects of child well being. So we're starting some really interesting new research looking at. Um, hoping to draw a connection between the recent um, opioid crisis and um, child well-being. So thinking about how the opioid crisis is affecting kids, both how they do in school, but then also how their family um, structure changes and how things like child maltreatment might be um, increasing as a result of the opioid crisis. And so that's some interesting and exciting new work that we're working
1: on that's related to children's well-being. Well, so that's great. And one, you know, exciting thing about your work too—it seems to me that you really do look at uh, the relevance of research to real-world contexts. Or, you know, despite I'm sure using, uh, you know, the soundest quality um, empirical methods, uh, there there are obvious implications of your work for uh, real-life settings and real-life situations. And I'm curious because so when we think of economics, I don't usually think of the term that we use here, translational research, which really means developing ways of getting research findings um, more quickly and more efficiently out to interested audiences. But it seems to me that that must be at the heart of what you do. And so I'm curious so, with your research, which, which ranges across these age groups, What kind of things do you do to get it out to policymakers, or what do economists do to get it out to people who might use it? And when I think of your research, it's even relevant for program development, probably. Uh, So how do we keep it from sitting here in the ivory tower? Do you have strategies you use? Yeah,
0: I mean, I try to take, one strategy is to try to take every opportunity that I can to talk about um, my research with policymakers and um, advocates and um, practitioners and that ranges sort of depending on what piece of research I'm talking about. That ranges, you know, from talking to school district administrators and or teachers um, about some of the research that I've done on teacher compensation and about how kids learn. Um, that also means engaging with um, various child care um, organizations, whether that be individual centers or broader um broader advocacy groups or um you know state <clears throat> childcare resource groups um to try to communicate with them about how what we know about child care and how important that is for child development, but also for family well being more broadly as I talked about earlier. Um, and you know also uh also looking for you know look looking for opportunities to work with districts, for example, around, um, designing retirement policies for their teachers that might both benefit students, but also sort of help their, the district's bottom line. I've had districts contact me about wanting to do that. Uh, when it, you know, when we talk about the research with the older Americans, there have been lots of folks in DC and various government agencies that have contacted us about that, um, project in particular, because it's focused on social security, um, Social Security, the administration itself, but also more broadly, some of the other government agencies in D.C. And are interested in learning more about that research and thinking about how that can be connected to the decisions that they're making uh, around various aspects of, um, pop, you know, programs
1: for older Americans. Um, and and so, what's that experience like, working with those kind of people? Do you, like, as an academic, find it enjoyable? Are there aspects of it that are frustrating, Um it really enjoyable. I I really um,
0: I do the work that I do uh, because I want to help um, make policies better and help make people's um, you know everyday lives better. And so um, I actually really appreciate opportunities to engage with policymakers like that. It's not something we're taught about as we go through our training, right? And so there's a there's definitely a learning curve, and um, that that's made it you Know difficult at various points, but um, but for I, I enjoy it. I also, um, if I had to think about one way that it's another way that it's difficult, I think I would say that um, maybe that we don't get enough opportunity to do it, right? That 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 making those connections can often be hard and feels sort of idiosyncratic. And you know, it'd be it'd be great. And part of why I'm excited about increased involvement with BCTR or through the Millman Fellowship is. To be able to continue to do more of those and uh, have more of those experiences and really figure out connections, so that the um, so that the back and forth is more fluid and less sort of stuttered, um, and so that the interactions can happen even faster after research gets developed and produced.
1: Um, yeah, because I I found sometimes that getting our research findings into practice is sometimes a little less difficult because you're often working with practitioners, they're interested in programs. But with the policymakers, it's felt to me that's a little bit of when worlds collide. Like often yes. they need something immediately. Yes. Or they need a finding that's very tailored to a bill that's being considered. Yes. Uh, you know, they're, they don't want our sort of a 40-page policy analysis as much as they want a very quick, you know, answer when they need it. Yes. Um, sure. I don't know if you've encountered that.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and that, and for that reason, some research is much more tangible for that, much more easily, easily um, digested, and um, much more. It fits better with what they're looking for at the time. Um, uh, but you know, uh, so that can be a challenge, especially with more complicated research. And I guess some of some of what economists do. Um, might fall into the category of being less accessible most times. Um, I've been lucky in that, especially some of my more interesting from a policy perspective paper, those research uh, studies have been a little bit more accessible to start with. And so I think that's helped with policymakers being able to um, digest it and get a sense of what we're talking about.
1: Um, but, but it is, know, is uh, a challenge. Can I ask, in your work on early child childhood uh, programs, is there... Are there a couple of messages from that, that that you think are really important for the public or policy to, I'm choosing something specific, because you, unlike, well, um, in yeah. gerontology and in lifespan human development, we talk about this huge gap between the alpha and omega stages. Uh-huh. It, it, it's very rare that somebody's doing It's it all. true. It's true. So I'm picking a specific. <laughs> I know. But in I've the early childhood, around. no, it's great. I mean, I uh, I like being a dilettante. I mean, <laughs> yes. I'm, but, um... Are there a couple of messages from your work uh, with uh, um, revolving around younger children that you would really like to get out? Is there um, something you would really like either the public or policymakers to know from that body of work, for example? Absolutely. And I don't think, I, I think some of this
0: isn't new. Just okay. been some, I've been working in this area for 10 years or more, and I think as have a number of other people, and, and I think the message is increasingly getting out, which is You know, first of all, just what an important time for development. Actually, that's probably been being (laughs) a message being sent for more than the last 10 years, although it's certainly got a lot more traction in the last 10 years. Yeah,
1: but it's hard to get that Um, message out sometimes. Yeah, it
0: is. But I think it's getting there. You know, there is a growing um, proliferation of things like universal preschool programs, and a growing, you know, policymakers are starting to realize that these are um, both important, but I think also. politically feasible types of um, programs to talk about. And that's useful because, you know, early childhood programs have shown to be very, very important. At the same time, my research has a a small mess, and I should say important, not just for kids, but also for families, generally speaking, right? There are ways that the programs help child development, but also provide resources to a family that enables parents to work and have other benefits for the family as a whole. Um, but, but my research points to one caveat that I think is important for policymakers to at least consider as they're thinking about, um, expanding or introducing early childhood programs, which is that, you know, we face important trade-offs, uh, between things like providing a preschool program to all kids and, um, how, how much, we can put into that program right so that we the trade-off really you could think about it as being do I provide a somewhat lower cost program to all kids or do I think about providing an even higher quality program to um, you know maybe low-income kids or kids who might be otherwise in more need of that type of program. So it's a
1: targeting question. Exactly
0: exactly and then those questions are important Um, and That the the research so far um, seems to mostly point to the idea that maybe the targeted programs are um, sort of the most cost effective. That the 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 the, the, you know there's a bunch of kids that are getting early high quality early childhood environments even without governments. Uh, trying to provide mm-hmm. those, and that, that really we might be most efficiently uh, focusing our resources on the kids that don't have those experiences without government intervention. And so, um, you know, I, but that's yeah, a tough no trade off. Yeah, it's no a no tough trade off, especially for policymakers, because it's much easier to talk about giving a great program to everybody right. than limiting access to it. And so that's a tricky thing to figure out. But
1: that seems like exactly the kind of dilemma that research could. Uh, Inform. My last question, and I could certainly go on forever with this, uh, because it's so interesting, but this may be difficult again because of the range of your research, but we like to ask folks if there were one real-world change that you could make that was based on your research, what would it be and why? And if you could wave a magic wand and have some aspect of something you've studied and be implemented...
0: Yeah, I think it would be exactly to go back to the early childhood uh, literature and 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 to have um, high quality early childhood um, programs available from birth uh, through school age, or and actually all the way through, you know, up to college <laughs> later. Um, but certainly, early childhood programs, uh, I think, having more developed early childhood programs that were high quality and accessible to all families, I think would be the the magic, the thing I do with a magic wand, Um, you know, exactly how that comes to be and whether you provide that for everybody uh, as a way to make it happen. Um, You know, I'm not sure that's probably not the most efficient, but certainly making those environments accessible from an early, early age. There's just both my research and a a broad set of growing research suggests that that's just going to be really great for families and kids.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much. I I wish we had more time, but it's been great having Maria Fitzpatrick um, with us to talk about these important issues. And uh, we hope that all of you will will join us for our next episode in doing translational research.
0: For more information about translational research or the work of the Brenner Center, please visit www.bctr.cornell.edu